Thank you, ladies. That was beautiful. Beautiful. Well, I want to introduce uh, Juan Carlos and Ruth Bonilla to you this morning. Uh, they began their missionary service with World Witness, our, our denominational agency that deals with um, missionary work around the world. They began that work with World Witness in 2003. Uh, Ruth began serving in children and youth ministry in Mexico. And in 2005, Ruth became the World Witness short-term missions coordinator. Juan Carlos is a native of Ecuador and received both his Master of Divinity degree and his Doctor of Ministry degree from Erskine Theological Seminary. And he was ordained in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. From 2001 to 2004, Juan pastored in Mexico. And in 2008, he was commissioned as a World Witness Short-Term Missions Coordinator. In February 2011, the Benias moved to Guadalajara, Mexico, where they established a church. However, in 2014, the Lord redirected them to Spain uh, for the work of planting a missional and multicultural-led congregation among young professionals in Madrid, Spain. Uh, the Benias have two daughters, two beautiful daughters that are just sweet and precious as could be, uh, Esther Catherine and Sarah Presley. So, Juan, please come and preach God's word to us this morning. We're glad to have you here this morning, brother. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. God bless you. Buenos dias. Oh, I see that many of you speak the heavenly language, right? <laughs> I was talking with this missionary from Germany, and he said, uh-uh, Spanish is not a heavenly language. German is the heavenly language. Wow, I said, can you please tell me why? And he said, because to learn German, it will take the whole eternity. <laughs> so I agree. Spanish is a very easy language to learn. And for many of you, you might be wondering, where does my accent come from? I'm from the South, <laughs> but not from the, the South of the United States. I'm from South America. Pastor Tanner already introduced my family. I'm from Ecuador. And first of all, let me tell you how excited I am to be here and how thankful I am to be here. First of all, to Pastor Tanner, for giving me the privilege of preaching God's word this morning. And at the same time, I'm very thankful with the missions committee. This morning we met, we had a great time together. So thank you so much to the missions committee as well. And thank you for giving me this wonderful opportunity, brothers and sisters, to be here to share the word of God, to preach the word of God. But before I preach, let me tell you very briefly that um, there's one Bible verse that I would love to share. It's in Romans 1, 8. It says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. And many of you might be wondering, how does my faith is being proclaimed in all the world? Well, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, every time you pray for missionaries, for the missionary work, Every time you give for the missionary work, every time you have the opportunity to go on a short-term mission trip, and if you're here and you're sharing Christ's love with your neighbors, with your co-workers that are not Christians yet, you are proclaiming your faith. So there are many ways to be involved in sharing Christ's love with others. Now, 
Romans 15.20 says, It has always been my ambition, the Apostle Paul is talking here, and he said, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Less than 1% of the population in Spain consider themselves evangelical Christians. Only 0.5. In other words, every person you meet in the streets, your neighbors, they are not Christians. What a privilege and what a joy our family has to share the love of Christ in Spain. And we thank you because I know that this is a mission-minded congregation. You pray for missionaries. You give so Christ's love can be proclaimed locally and also around the world. So before I preach the word of God, I have four key words that I want to share with you. And these four key words are related with our ministry in Spain. And why four key words? Because I don't have the time to be telling you what the Lord has done through our ministry, through our family during the past six years in Spain. So hopefully you can remember these four key words that can summarize, I believe, what the Lord has done in Spain during these past five years. And you know what is interesting? Every word starts with the letter L. So you can remember. Learn, number one. Number two, love. Number three, link. And number four, launch. So, number one, learn. Well, our family six years ago moved to a different country, although we speak Spanish, not a heavenly language, right? We moved to Spain, but we have to learn new culture, new people. So I believe we have to be, as missionaries, open to learn. It's like when you go to a restaurant and you don't know what to order. Hopefully, you're brave enough and you raise your hand and ask the waitress. They know very well. They can encourage you what to order. That's what we did. We raised our hand in Spain, and we wanted to learn as much as we can. Why Spaniards, why the international community in Spain act in that particular way? Why? Why? And you might be familiar with this name, Isabella the Catholic. This lady sent Christopher Columbus to America, right? But at the same time, she expelled everyone that was not a professing Roman Catholic, she expelled from the country. Later on, you might heard this name, you might know this name, Francisco Franco. He was a good friend of Hitler, and he was a dictator in Spain until he died. Again, he imposed the religion, the Roman Catholic Church, upon all the Spaniards. You know what happened? As soon as he died, everyone said, that's it. I don't want to do nothing more about religion. In other words, Christianity itself is, gave a bad name in, in Spain. Everyone doesn't want to know. Why? Because they relate the killings that happened when Franco was the dictator with religion. So nowadays, you talk to people, and they shut the door in your face once you start talking about Jesus. So that's why it's important to learn. Number one. Number two, love. 
How do you love these people that don't care about God? And they, want, they don't want to know who Jesus is. How do you love them? Well, the Bible says that we need to love because Christ died. So we need to love. So one of the things we have done is we have invited families into our home. One family at a time. And by doing that, the Lord has made our love grow and grow more and more for the Spaniards and for the international community. So that was number two. Learn, love, link. During the past six years, we have learned what the Spaniards like to do. For example, they want to learn English. So what do you do? Okay, you do an English camp. You teach them English, but at the same time, you pray for the salvation of these kids, for the salvation of their parents, and you connect with them. We have had a weekly Bible club in our home in English. We have had open houses because they want to learn more about the Americans. We, every year we have an open house where we invite our non-Christian neighbors and we tell them about Thanksgiving. Another time we have another one, open house, and we share about Christmas and all the things that they do, but we connect all that with the gospel. You link, you connect. So learn, love, link. And finally, lunch. This is where we need your prayers, brothers and sisters, because after six year, years, we are in the stage of forming our core group, a group of at least 10 families with the same values and passion for church planting. So I have this first prayer request for you all. Would you pray that the Lord will give us at least 10 families? And remember, we are planting a church in Spain from scratch. We don't have another 10 families from another church to come to help us. My family is my team. Would you pray that the Lord will give us at least 10 families so we can start a church in Madrid? Number two, pray that the Lord will provide a building so we can meet. Everything we have done during the past six years has been done in our living room. And also there's in a specific place in our neighborhood that we've been leading the English camps and leading other ministry activities. But we need in the near future a building that we can rent. Would you pray for that? And number three, please pray for our support. This is our first furlough after being six years in Spain. And we've been visiting churches, sharing about our ministry, sharing the needs for ministry, would you pray for our financial support? We've been told by the World Witness Office that we need 700 more per month so we can be 100% in our support. Would you pray for that? And finally, you know that we are living in very hard days. As we go back, pray that we can become learners of the new normal or whatever you want to call it because going back is going to be challenging especially for church planting with the social distancing. People don't want to be with you. So pray, please, that we can learn, that we can use technology, that we can use everything is on our hands to continue planting the church in Madrid. So those four key words, hopefully you remember. Learn, love, link, and launch. And that's the summary about our ministry in Madrid, Spain. Also, let me tell you, we have a table close to the fellowship hall. fellowship hall. And we have there 
uh, newsletters, prayer letters. We have magnets and prayer bookmarks. I think all of you receive a bookmark with prayer requests in the back. But also, you can go to that table. My wife and my girls will be there, and you can sign up to receive our newsletters. And we will love to keep you up to date about the church planting ministry in Spain. And why not? Hopefully in the future, Barto could send a team from this beautiful church so you can help us maybe to lead, to lead an English camp or to lead another strategy to reach out the people in Spain, to share Christ's love with them. So with that in mind, I give you thanks for giving me this opportunity to give you a summary about our ministry. Let's go to the Word of God. You have printed in your bulletins James chapter 1. Verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to ask you as I go through the preaching of the word that you will have open your bulletin so you can follow verse by verse the preaching of the word. Now, I'm going to read the word of God. I'm going to read, and you have in your bulletins, but I'm going to read from the NIV version, James chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without funding fault, and it will be given to you. So the title of this sermon is Sharing Christ's Love Through Difficult Times. My beloved, there is so much that we can learn from these five Bible verses. But the main idea is this. Trials are God's appointments. In other words, God wants to meet you in the difficult time that you're going through in order to give you supernatural joy so you can face the difficult time that you are going through. And when he is going to do that, number two, you are going to flesh out the gospel flesh out this supernatural joy to those around you. In other words, Christians, but especially non-Christians, family, members, co-workers, neighbors, they will see Jesus and us. And you know what? This will provoke questions in them to ask you why, they, why do you have joy in the middle of the difficult time that you are going through? So this is the main idea. Now, as I look around the time that we are going through, the timing and the text for this message this weekend is one of those God's appointments. Because all of us are going through difficult times, right? How do you respond when things are not going well with people at work? How do you respond when things are not going well with people in your school, with family, or people at the grocery store? 
Your initial reaction during these times reflects who you are. The true character of a person is seen when things are not well. Late night phone calls, do you have those? Grouchy teachers, especially nowadays, we have to put our kids in front of a computer. Grumpy moms, burnt meals, flat tires, you have to be kidding. Deadlines, they aren't big enough to be crisis, but if you get enough of them, watch out. Traffic jams, long lines, empty mailboxes, dirty clothes on the floor. Maybe the person you wanted to be the president is not the president. This is what I'm sharing with you, that the timing and the text for this message this weekend is one of those God's appointments. So I have divided this sermon into four key points. Number one, our attitude towards trials, verses one and two. Number two, the purpose of trials, verses three and four. Number three, God's help in the midst of trials. Verse 5, and finally, trials are one of God's ways to share his love in our ever-changing society. Let's pray together and ask God to help us to listen to his voice this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, once again, what a privilege and what a joy it is to come before your presence. Thank you so much that we can rejoice that you are our Father and that you know our needs. You know what is happening this very morning in our lives. You know the depths of our hearts and you love us the same. Heavenly Father, you know what is happening and every family here this morning. You know what is happening in this congregation. You know what is happening in this whole nation, the United States. You know what is happening in the whole world because you're in control. You know what is happening in all the planets and the galaxies because you create all of this. And what is amazing and what is beautiful is that we can come before you and call you Father. But not only that, that knowing what is happening in our lives, you still want to give us help, help to understand why we are going through difficult times, the purpose of these difficult times. So I pray that your spirit will speak to us through his word, through your word. I pray that you will, that you will bring peace where there is need of peace. I pray that you will bring joy where there is need of joy. I pray that you will bring hope where there is need of hope. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So this passage is talking about trials, right? Verse 1, it says, 
that basically talks about trials. So before I share with you what trials are, let me share with you what trials are not. Because many times we get confused. What is the concept? What is the meaning of trials? So number one, trials are not a punishment. Have you heard people saying, God is punishing me because I did that and that's why I'm going through this difficult time? Number one, trials are not a punishment. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3 says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You know the story of Jonah. What happened? He don't want it to preach the good news. Where he ended up? It says here, away from the presence of the Lord. He ended up inside of what? The belly of the big fish, right? So trials are not a punishment. Jonah was not obeying. That's why God had to discipline this man. Number two, trials are not a temptation. I'm sure you have heard this too. God is tempting me. This is a big trial, right? But trials are not a temptation. Because James chapter 1.14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So trials, number one, are not a punishment. Trials are not a temptation. Now, let me share with you what trials are. Trials are divine appointments to help us grow so we can become like Jesus. Very simple concept, but this is what trials are. Let me share again. Trials are divine appointments to help us grow so we can become like Jesus. So, verse 1 and 2, our attitude towards trials. Verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Now, a key word that I want to make emphasis here is the way that James introduced himself. You know, he's the brother of Jesus, and he could very proudly say, <coughs> excuse me, I'm the brother of Jesus, and you should listen. But James said, a servant of God. And this is where Greek and Hebrew, specifically Greek here, is so beautiful. Because the meaning here of the word servant in Greek is slave. In other words, James is saying, a slave. He's introducing himself as a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to learn that from James. He's a very humble man. And we also need to learn to be humble. And he continues, and he says, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you can see here, he put God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in the same level. Nowadays, 
we heard from the Jehovah Witness, the Mormons, that Jesus is not God. But here it says, of God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And another beautiful thing here is also James uses the complete name of Jesus. He says, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nowadays, when you're watching a movie, how many times people use the name of Jesus in a very bad way? These people don't know that there is power in the name of Jesus. James continues and he says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. And this is the context. And this is why we can relate all of us with this passage because the 12 tribes were Jewish. But they heard the good news and they professed faith in Christ and now they are Jewish Christians. In other words, because of their faith, now they are being persecuted. And as a result of persecution, people were dying. If your sister was Christian, but then your brother was not a Christian, what happened? They will go to the authorities, the non-Christian will go to the authorities and will say, hey, my sister is a Christian. So people were dying. There was persecution. Now, on January 9, 1985, Pastor Risto Kulechev, a congregational pastor in Bulgaria, was arrested to put in prison. His crime was that he preached in his church even though the state had appointed another man, the pastor whom the congregation did not elect. His trial was a mockery of justice, and he was sentenced to eight months imprisonment. During his time in prison, he made Christ known every way he could. When he got out, he wrote, Both prisoners and jailers asked many questions, and it turned out that we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have expected in church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. Persecution. Growth. In Mexico, in the south part of Mexico, where we, well, we did not serve in the part of Me south part of Mexico, but in Mexico, when you look to the southern part, just because you profess faith in Christ, you will be persecuted nowadays. In Pakistan, we had the privilege of going to Pakistan and visit this beautiful country. But if someone professed faith in Christ, being a Muslim, but that person professed faith in Christ, I'm sure you have read what happened to these beautiful people there. Many of them are killed. And do you know that there are more ARPs in Pakistan than ARPs here in the United States? In the midst of trials, in the midst of persecution, what is happening? The church is growing. You know, in Acts 1, a says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world, the earth. And then in Acts 1, 8 says, and Saul approved his execution and there arose on a day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. 
But what happened? We continue reading. Acts 2.47 says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And the same way God uses persecution so the church can grow, God is going to use trials, difficult times in our lives for what? So we can grow. So we can become more like Christ. So let me continue. Verse 2. Consider a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And here I want to make emphasis to the word joy. Because joy is more a state of being than an emotion. In other words, it's not laughing outside but inside dying yourself. It's more than an emotion. In other words, joy, it is a quality and not simply an emotion grounded upon God himself. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you might abound in hope. So joy, consider it pure joy. And you might be wondering how in the world... The pastor is asking me to have joy in the midst of the difficult time that my family is going through, that our nation is going through. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And again, Greek here is so valuable because here the word many kinds means trials or different colors. In other words, you might have trials of the color black. Someone in your family just passed away, a friend or a family member. Trial of color green. Someone that you love just tested positive for coronavirus. A trial of color red. One of your friends or family members just had an accident. So it says, whenever you face trials of many kinds. One thing we also have to remember, brothers and sisters, is that trials come without warning. In other words, trials are not, excuse me, uh -uh, knocking the door of your house. Can I come in? You remember in Luke chapter 10, it says, verse 30, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Do you think this man was waiting for the robbers to come? No. In the same way, brothers and sisters, trials come without warning. And we must be prepared. Point number two, the purpose of trials, verse three and four. Verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Because you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to share a personal story here. My mom passed away about seven years ago, eight years ago, and she passed away because of cancer. I was the first in my family to become a Christian when I was 17. And I've been praying all these years for my family members. My dad is a professor of philosophy. 
He called himself an atheist. But let me tell you, because you know, says this Bible verse, God has a purpose of using the trials in our lives. God used my mom's cancer to soften my dad's heart. And this is a very big statement that it comes from my heart to you all. Because I went through all this. I saw my mom suffering. I was the pastor leading the funeral in Ecuador. And today I can tell you that God used my mom's cancer to soften my dad's heart. Because 20 years ago, my dad was a different person. He used to not even allow me to pray in our home. As soon as I brought Christian books, Christian movies, he said, stop, I don't want that. But you will, if you will talk today with him, he's a different person. If you will talk to him today, he's a different person. Why? Because God used my mom's cancer to soften his heart. Because you know, knowing that there is a purpose of God in the midst of the trial, the difficult time you're going through. And I want to share with you also four things here. Because you know, number one, that you are going through that difficult time, through that trial, number one, according to God's plan. This is not a coincidence that you're going through that difficult time now. You are going through that difficult time, number one, according to God's plan. Number two, under his care. He has promised to take care of you. Number three, you are and he's a school. I love to... What John Spurgeon said here, there is no university of a Christian like that of sorrow and trial. And number four, for the amount of time that he decides. Four things. Because you know that you are going through that difficult time according to God's plan, under his care, and his school, and for the amount of time that he decides. Brothers and sisters, we have to know that God is sovereign, that he's in control. And to be honest, that gave me peace. And instead of being scared that God's in control, that gave me peace. And I pray that that peace will come upon you too this morning. Because knowing that he's in control, that means that he cares for you and he wants the best for you. Proverbs 19.21 says, many are the plans of the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Are you going through a difficult time this week? It says, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. And listen to this beautiful promise. As you're going through difficult times, he will never leave you nor forsake you. I pray that these words will give you peace. Because it's God's promise, he will never leave you nor forsake you. So verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And I love this quote of Charles Spurgeon again. He said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Perseverance gives us the idea 
that a person who, by understanding that we are called to have joy in the midst of trials, will remain in the middle of the trial because he or she knows that the result of the remaining in the trial will benefit him or her with personal growth and spiritual maturity. In other words, it's not like if it's raining, what do we do when it's raining? Get the umbrella and run, right? And many times that's what we want to do when we're going through difficult times. We don't want to be in the rain. We don't want to get wet. We don't want to go through this difficult time. We want to run away. But God says, perseverance. Because if you remain in the middle of that, what is going to happen? The Lord will help you to grow. It's like when you are in a school. If you want to go to the next grade, to the next level, what happened? You have to pass the test. If you don't pass the test, what happened? You will remain in the same grade. And the Lord will use another trial to teach you what you didn't want to learn when you were going through that particular trial. Verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's what I said. Trials are divine appointment to help us to grow. The word mature means becoming like who? Become like Pastor Tenor? Become like the elders? Become like who? Like Jesus Christ. We must remember that God's goal for your life and my life is that we become like who? Like Jesus Christ. Like Jesus Christ. And three, my point three, God's help in the midst of trials. Verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. In the context of trials, in the context of difficult time, we don't know what to do. What is God telling you and telling me that we need to do? If any of you lacks wisdom, God, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why my family is going through this such a difficult time. What should we do? Stop asking the why, 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 and go to our knees and say, God, you said, if any of you lacks wisdom, please, I need wisdom now. Wisdom to understand your purposes in the midst of this difficult time for our nation, for our church, for my life. I need you, God. Give me wisdom. Now, God is not like those bad teachers that even a student is asking, one, two, three, the teacher, stop it, don't say. God is not like that. God said, you should ask God, and what? Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And finally, trials are one of God's ways to share his love. If you have understood this, that supernatural joy is what God wants to give you in the midst of the difficult time that you're going through, now come the best part. It's like the movie you're watching, right? And at the end, you're expecting, what is going to happen? Oh, what is going to happen? I, I, I like to watch movies a lot. And I'm expecting at the end, you know, with my wife, with my girls, we're watching a movie. What is going to happen? So here comes the best part. Because trials are one of God's ways to share his love. I love this quote of Horatius Bonner. He said, and listen, our power in drawing men to Christ springs chiefly 
from the fullness of our personal joy in him. And the nearness of our personal communion with him. A ministry of power must be the fruit of a holy, peaceful, loving intimacy with the Lord. Let me repeat the first part. Our power in drawing men. Do you have family members? Do you have co-workers that are not Christians yet? I do. My own father is not a believer yet. And I'm sure you have friends, co-workers, neighbors that are not Christians yet. Our power in drawing these men to Christ springs chiefly from the fullness of our personal joy in Him. What is going to happen, my beloved, when we flesh out this joy that we are learning this morning? People are going to ask questions. The brave one is not going to be you going to your neighbor's house who is not a Christian trying to knock the door. Can I tell you about Jesus? The brave one is going to be your neighbor that comes to you and said, what is going on? You just lost your husband. You just lost your sister. You're going through this difficult time. But I see that you have something that I don't have. This world cannot provide joy. This world cannot provide peace. This world cannot provide hope. Only Christ himself. And this is why it's so crucial for us to understand that when we do our homework of fleshing out this supernatural joy, people around us will start asking questions. And you know what? They also want to have what you have. And what do you do then when the door is open? You simply share your story. You don't have to know the gospel from A, B, C, D. You simply share your story with these people, what Jesus has done in your life. And they will listen to you. That's why I love 1 Peter chapter 3. The whole chapter, excuse me, the whole 1 Peter talks about trials as well. But let me just share this last Two verses, three actually, 13 through 15. First Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 15. They were going also through difficult times. But listen, verse 13 of chapter 3. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. In verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. What does it mean, what it says, verse 15? But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord. You know, that is, you know the meaning is that when you are fleshing out joy in your life, you are honoring Christ the Lord as holy. And what happened then? You will be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. This is the best part, brothers and sisters, because as I said before, once you have done our job, our homework, the result is beautiful. So I would like to finish 
with another personal story. For 20 years, I've been praying for my brother. As I told you before, I was the first in my family to become a Christian. I've been praying for my brother for about more than 20 years. Two Christmas ago, we were visiting my family in Ecuador. And my brother, he, he sees how, how our family acts, how we behave, so he knows how we are. But because we've been fleshing out joy, we've been fleshing out hope, we've been fleshing out love. Two Christmas ago, my brother professed faith in Christ. And now his name is written in the book of life. It's possible. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, let God use your difficult time so co-workers, friends, family members that are not Christian yet will become Christians, will profess faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time once again that we have come here to listen to you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that... You have spoke this morning to us. Thank you for the difficult times that we are going through at this very moment. As a family, as a country. But Father, we know that you want to use these difficult times for your glory. So I pray, Father, that at this very moment, please pour out joy in the hearts of my brothers and sisters. A supernatural joy that will allow them to face the difficult times that they are going through. And the beautiful part, I pray, Father, that as they do that, those around them, that are not your children's yet, will see Christ. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity. You have given me and my family to be in this wonderful congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Juan. Let's stand and respond to God's word being preached this morning by singing From All That Dwell Below the Skies, verses 1 through 3. They're printed in your bulletin this morning, and they should be here on the, on the television screen. Please stand.